I'm Howard Hale. Thanks for joining me for today's edition of the Horseman's Corner. On the program today, just one guest. That's Clark Jensen. He's president of the American Shire Horse Association and also raises shires at Blair, Nebraska. Clark, you're president of the American Shire Horse Association, but where is your association located? And our association is located uh, back in Ohio. It's Jan Baumgrass is our secretary, and uh, she's at Leroy, Michigan, and uh, you can Google her up on the Internet, the American Shire Horse Association, and get her address. For people who are not familiar with that particular breed of horse, the Shire, give me some of its background, some of its history, would you? Yeah, the, the Shire horse is from England, and the Clyde horse is from Scotland. And uh, the Shire horse is the largest horse in the world. Um, in fact, we had a stallion here that produced the tallest horse. It was a filly that was a three-year-old that stood 20 hands as a three-year-old filly. So they get up pretty tall, and uh, they come in black, bay, and gray, those three colors. So you have a little choice there. When most of your horses are black. Most of the horses bred in the United States are black, but uh, bay comes in second, and then gray comes in third. When you're talking about the height of as tall as 20 hands, which is a huge horse, how about the weight? Well, the weight will range from, oh, 1,600, pounds up to 2,200, 2,300 pounds. Uh, so... Uh, a good-sized horse will weigh right around a ton apiece. Give me a little more of the history of this horse. Where did they originate and when? They originated in England, and it goes way back uh, at that point. Um, there was a lot of strife in, in the world, and uh, there was uh, wars going on, and the king uh, designated that no horse should be left alone uh, was less than 16 hands and so it encouraged people uh, so they wouldn't lose their horse to breed bigger horses and that they did um, at one point uh, there was quite a not a very big distinction between the Clydes and the Shires but the they're separate and they do their own DNA for their own offspring now we DNA every baby that, uh, that we produce so we know exactly who the sire and the dam are. We started to import them a long time ago from England and got, got them started here. And then in the 30s, they about died out. Um, and then somebody uh, started to bring them in, and they were over located over in Iowa and brought in large quantities of shires. And the shire stallions were used quite heavily on uh, upgrading the Belgians and the Percherons at that time when the horses were actually working in the field. And so the Shires had a very influential part of uh, most all of your draft breeds. But um, then in the 30s, we just about lost the Shire breed in the United States. We only had like 36 horses. And most of those were located over around Idaho and, and uh, down through California. And so we've come a long way from in a short time in breeding them back again. But they almost became extinct, and it was very difficult to uh, find a shire. And so at that point, or after that point sometime, 
when they decided in the association to go to a grading up program. And so we did use Shire Stallions and other breeds to help bring the numbers back up. And then after that, we have continued to import large quantities of horses from England, and and we followed a breeding program of our own here. And at this point, I'd say that we have very good quality shires within the United States and a fairly amount of accessibility to them. However, our numbers are very low. What about uh, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but originally this horse was used as a war horse? A war horse, yeah. They were used as a, a war horse. They had to have a very large horse that could carry knights with armor. And so that's why they, they wanted to get the biggest horse they possibly could. And that fell into the realm of, of the Shire. And uh, so that's that's one of the reasons why they were bred so big and so heavy, to carry knights with armor on them. When you're talking about the Shire today, how many Shires are there in the United States? Well, we don't really know for sure, but I was just visiting with our secretary a short time ago, and we did a little survey on the computer and found out that there's uh, about a little less than 2,000 registered shires in the United States at this time. So they are a very endangered species. We would like to maintain the breed as long and as well as we can, but uh, we don't have a very large breeding background. So we do encourage new members or new owners to come in and start breeding the Shire because we would like to see this horse come back to its original uh, popularity that it once had. What about the number of folds that you're they're hitting the ground each year and being registered? Well, we have a we produce about 100 babies a year, and that's not enough to maintain our breed and keep it moving forward. Uh, we we need to concentrate more on getting better breeders, good breeders of with a quality uh, idea of, of breeding horses in mind, and uh, we need to increase that number because 100 babies in the entire United States is a very low number to satisfy the needs of the Shire. And as they come in different colors, bay, gray, and black, we have what we call the chrome, and that is the white on the legs and the bald face. And, uh, you know, people that buy horses today, they, they not only like to have the real prominent areas that they're looking for, and the highest one is disposition. Of anything you're looking for in a horse, probably disposition heads up the list because you want a horse that will respond to you, that's smart, and that likes you and you can work with. So disposition probably ranks the highest. The second uh, would probably be confirmation. And uh, confirmation depends a little bit on uh, what you're going to use it for. But confirmation is fairly universal in in what, what you use. And then the second thing comes in, or the third thing that comes in, is movement. And, you know, that is one of the real important parts in selecting a good horse, whether it be a Shire or any other breed, and what you're going to use it for. And if you're going to use it uh, for hitching or pulling wagons or some uh, that type of thing, mm-hmm. you need a horse that uh, is tall and big and strong and can <laughs> move its legs up and down and has probably a little more of a pumping action in its, in its foot. Uh, if you're going to use it under saddle, and I'd say 
uh, 80% maybe of the horses I sell will eventually end up under saddle. And here you'd like to have a horse that has good extension, good movement of the both front and back legs, and they reach out and reach forward when they're moving. And it, uh, it makes them move a little smoother and a little more graceful. What about the numbers of the shires in the world? We talked about 2,000 in the United States. What is the situation in Great Britain and Europe? Well, Great Britain is down also. Uh, they are sort of the mother company of all countries in, in uh, controlling the registration of shires. Uh, we have some real good shires in Canada, uh, in Germany, Belgium, Sweden, Denmark, Norway, uh, and Australia. There, there are shire associations in in all of those uh, countries, and uh, they are all small. They don't have near the numbers that we have in either England or United States. So this really is uh, uh, imperative to keep this breed going. You're going to need more than 100 folds a year here in the United States. Right. I, I have around 60 head of shires, and we produce about 20 babies a year, but that's not you know that's not near enough to satisfy the needs of the market, and uh, so we are really looking for quality-minded breeders to get into the breed and, and breed shires. Yes. What got you attracted to the shire in the first place? Disposition. There is no horse in the world, and I, I'm 82 years old. I've picked corn with horses and broke colts as a, a, a way to make money for the family as we were growing up. And uh, I've been I've had Belgians and Percherons and, and most all the breeds. And there's no horse that I know of that has a better disposition than a Shire. And so I call it a horse for young and old alike. How athletic are they? How athletic are they? They're the most athletic of any of the draft horse breeds. They have extremely good movement of both the front and the back limbs. And uh, But when you look at a horse and trying to pick out the type of movement you want for the particular discipline you're selecting it for, you need to not only look at the front leg movement, you need to look at the back leg movement because that gives you a big lead on how that horse is going to perform for you, whether it be under saddle or be in a, in a cart or hitch. Clark, let's take a short break and hear from the folks that advertise on the program, but guys that are listening, stay with us because we're going to have a lot more in just a moment. You're listening to the Horseman's Corner. Welcome back to the Horseman's Corner. I'm Howard Hale. I'm the host of the program, and the Shire is an interesting breed of horse, and let's hear more about the Shire from Nebraska horsemen, Blair, Nebraska horseman, Clark Jensen. So a lot of people are riding this horse. When they're using him as a riding horse, what discipline uh, comes to well, the, uh, comes to mind? They go into, uh, I had one horse that went down into Houston and entered in uh, the first phase of dressage. Of course, they're not going to go to the top levels of dressage, but in the first phase of dressage, she was in uh, two classes of 40 horses apiece and won both classes. So the Shire is not, uh, you know, out of the dressage field. You can you can train them to do very well in dressage. We've had Shires that have done well all across the United States in that form of discipline. But there is getting to be a lot of, uh, maybe I shouldn't say it this way, but 
our people are getting larger. And so some of the large men and women that would like to ride don't feel real comfortable on a 15 or 16 hand horse. And so they'd like to have a little bit larger horse. And so we're seeing that there's a really a strong market for riding the larger horse. What, uh, uh, what about the way you start this horse? What age do you start him? Well, I like to start him around three you've got to start when they're foals so that you get them to lead and load and and uh, all of those little simple things. But uh, a young horse, you can teach them quickly, but they forget quickly. You get a horse at about three, you teach them how to drive the discipline of, of hitching and harnessing and pulling, and they'll never forget it. You can hitch them most any time after that, and they'll remember what they learned as a three-year-old. And that's not true if you start too early. What about the, oh, let's let's say, uh, when do you start the horse pulling some weight then? Well, I'll start, of course, you know, we don't, in this part of the country, we don't utilize uh, our drafts as much for farm and field work as what we used to. Uh, They still do quite a little of that. Uh, on the northeast end of the country, but uh, in through the sand hills and in Nebraska, they use them a lot for haying and and that type of thing. But we we don't see a lot of our row crop agriculture being utilizing horses too much for the the heavy work. So because of that, we can probably start our horses a little bit younger than what we used to, because we don't put them into that real hard pull. But uh, I'd say you can start using a horse at three pretty well. But a shire is a little bit different. It will continue to grow until they're about six or so years old. So they grow a little bit longer than some of the other breeds. And as far as the, uh, are most of the shires then both drivable and rideable? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the nice part about it. Uh, and, you know, if you're looking for a, a driving or a hitch mare, you might be looking for a little bit difference in, in movement and so forth. You're still looking for the same uh, attitude, the, the disposition of a horse, regardless of how you're going to use them. It's just basically you're, you're judging the horse on its movement rather than anything else if you're switching disciplines. Do the Shire studs make a good... Uh... Uh, make a good horse to cross with other breeds to produce, say, for example, a sport horse? Boy, there you hit a hot spot. Uh, I'm I'm getting interest from all parts of the country, up through Montana and all over, wanting to get Shire stallions to breed on lighter mares to get sport horses. Sport horses is uh, really the hot button for the horse industry today. Um, and so they're finding that if they use a taller, more athletic draft like a Shire, along with their disposition, that uh, they can develop sport horses that are good for a lot of different uh, saddle activities. Yeah, and it's obvious you wouldn't want to use the Shire mares in a crossbreeding program, uh, not logically, when you have such a... a uh, shortage of the shires but boy it does look like that 
a Shire Stud would be a good horse to cross on many different breeds. Oh, they are. They are. And, and uh, you know, some of the, even the, the solid breeds of Percherons and Belgians are even starting to use the Shire Stallion uh, when, when they're, like, when they're going to be using them in the field. Well, that's interesting. Uh, uh, what's what's the reason that they might infuse some Shire blood in those breeds? Disposition. Disposition, and uh, sometimes they can improve the uh, foot quality. Uh, some some breeds are a little bit lighter on the foot than the Shire, and but primarily disposition. When you talk about the foot of a Shire, how would that be different from where is it an improvement over some of the other breeds? Well, I don't want to pick on any breeds, but there are some breeds that just don't quite have as good a large sound foot as what the Shire is. And so it's uh, sometimes easier to find a horse within the Shire breed that has maybe a slightly better foot than you will find on some other drafts. You know, it sounds like it's really an interesting, uh, interesting breed of horses and looks like it would be important to keep the breed uh, going. Are there any shows for the Shires? Oh, yes. We have a annual show every year, uh, and the last several years we've had it over at the Iowa State Fair. We just had it this year. And uh, two years ago we had, I think, five, six horse hitches. This year we had three. Uh, but uh, we, you know, we can't seem to get into a lot of big hitches because we don't have enough numbers to select from. And so, therefore, people who want to drive a hitch uh, and uh, maintain a hitch, they don't, uh, they don't select the Shire because you can't find the resources to put a hitch together. You know, uh, interestingly enough, uh, we've had two of the real great black Shire hitches in Colorado uh, in recent years, and uh, they were both sold out, and they were split between uh, several Clyde Black Hitch uh, hitches. And so there are a lot of uh, shires in your Black Clyde hitches, but, but nobody wants to admit that because they all want to take credit for their own breed. But uh, that uh, that happens, and uh, if you really get to know the herdsmen of those hitches, quite often they will admit that. You say the disposition is good on the Shire. Excellent is what uh, you said. That's what attracted you to them. The uh, stire, uh, the stud's pretty easy to get along with as well. Oh yeah, yeah. You you can have a knot head in any breed, but uh, normally you don't have that in the Shire. Uh, if you do, get rid of them because uh, we want to be pride ourselves on on breeding a quality, uh, well dispositioned horse that uh, you can handle wherever you're at. Of course, you know, when you're handling stallions, uh, they're just as meek and mild as can be outside, but uh, whenever you get around a hot mare, they're going to be a stallion. That's otherwise uh, probably wouldn't have much propagation. Well, and interestingly enough, most of the problem horses are really problem owners, so I suppose that's true of Shires as well as any other breed. <laughs> that's very true. Yeah, and uh, most problem horses are encouraged by a problem owner in the first place, and after they do that, it's hard to bring them back to, to reality. What would you like to add about the Shires that I haven't asked you about? Just just uh, 
let your mind run and talk about whatever you'd like to talk about about this Shire breed of horses. Well, you know, like I say, I have been in all kinds of breeds throughout my life, and I was so fortunate to drop into the Shire, um, and primarily because of the disposition, because they want, they really, truly want to be with you and to work with you, and they'll come up to the fence and want to be petted all the time. But uh, the, the, the Shire has a great potential, and now we have quite a little resistance because, you know, the old-timers, and I'm calling myself old-timer, the old-timers, they would like to have the old draft horse the way he was in the beginning. But the modern world is not that way. The only way you're going to increase your breed uh, of any horse is if you can sell it, if you can merchandise it, if there are other people that want to buy it. And when you go into that, then you are opening up a whole can of worms because with the Shire you have some additional problems or opportunities depending upon how you look at it. With the Shire you have, you look at your confirmation, but what people who have a checkbook, what they look at and come out normally, they want to see four socks and a blaze in black, or four socks and a blaze in bay, or a real sharp gray horse, you know. But they, they like to see that chrome on the feet, because that kind of makes them stand out. And so if you start talking about breeding for chrome, then then uh, people start to kind of wrinkle up their nose at you, because you're not staying with confirmation, but you know, uh, any breed has to sell their babies in order to stay in business, or they're going to, unless they're a millionaire, uh, you know, they, they have to have income, and so that relates to sales, and so if you really want to sell, you've got to breed horses that people want to buy, and people want to buy the chrome on the horse. Well, if if I go to the website for the Shire, and I assume there is one, and oh, and and let's get that uh, let's get that plugged in. What is the website? Uh, it's just the American Shire Horse Association, and the, on there you will bring up the American Shire Horse Association website, and there you will be able to go down and find members. You'll be able to find what they call a stud book. Uh, I'm not sure which stud book is available, but now we do have, especially if you're a member, we have stud books where we can go back and we can trace every horse in our association and within the Society of England. And we can go back and find out the parents on each one of them, and we can actually do a little bit better job of breeding. But bringing that to mind is that we have had such a small number of horses in the Shire breed that we're getting into a genetic uh, problem, that we have, uh, you know, one or two stallions that have really produced top-quality stuff, and we're breeding ourselves into kind of a funnel. And so we're trying to figure out how to do the best job of outcrossing to getting better uh, genetics so that we don't get to breed too close in our, in our program. Any videos available on the website that pe- where people can see a Shire in action? Well, there's uh, there's some on YouTube. Uh, if you go to YouTube and call up for Shires, uh, we are working on a video 
right now uh, in our association that will be available. We've been working on it for two years, and it should be coming off uh, within the next year. But, you know, it's quite a job to make a good video because you want to treat all subjects. You don't want to concentrate on either saddle or hitch or, or uh, plowing or, or any one thing. You've got to cover as many subjects as you possibly can. And getting back, maybe you want to talk a little bit about reproduction on, on shires. Uh, there's a lot of things we don't know about reproduction in general, but you know the, the cattle industry are so far ahead of the horse industry that there's no comparison. And we're learning as much as we can from the cattle industry. But uh, we're finding that uh, we can do, uh, we can have reproduction through uh, the, the freezing aspect of it. Uh, but we're going to a vitrification process, whereas the cattle don't have to do that. They can just go in and freeze the embryos. Uh, we have to go we have better luck going through a vitrification where you freeze it and then shrink it back down like a, a raisin and then you uh, hydrate it back before you put it in the mare. And that's the best way we have to uh, freeze embryos and bring them back into production. So you can have, a, in, you're, you're allowing then some embryo transfer and some recip mares. Yes, we do embryo transfer right on the farm here. And we also do a lot of uh, the semen freezing. So, yeah, and, and that is allowed within our association uh, so that we can, we can store embryos and we can. In fact, this year, uh, I bred a mare that I froze semen from 25 years ago. And so, so freezing semen, of course, you know, freezing semen is, uh, we, we do a lot of shipping of, of uh, cooled semen across the country and you, you can collect it at uh, five o'clock at night and get it to the FedEx at, at seven and uh, by 10 o'clock the next morning they'll have it. And so it's a pretty quick process and you have pretty good progressive motility on that semen and pretty good success when you ship it. But um, in freezing, it's I don't like to I don't like to move frozen semen to people that don't really understand what's going on because when you are going to breed with frozen semen, you need to check every six hours to find out where the follicle is and when the follicle drops. And then as soon as it drops, you need to get that semen in there within six hours to uh, get conception. And it's uh, timeliness is godliness in using frozen semen with horses. So uh, it's a real touchy deal, and uh, you really have to be on your toes if you're going to make it successful. How how successful have you been with the embryo transfer? Pretty good, yeah, yeah. It's it's very encouraging, very encouraging. But the thing about it is, you know, uh, with the embryo transfer, we uh, we go ahead and bring the mare in, and we know exactly when the follicle drops. And then we wait six and a half days precisely. In fact, I took I, I took an embryo over to Iowa State to have uh, frozen this year, or um, whatever I, I said it was. But we, we vitri vitrified. So when I brought it over there, I said, "Well, it's six and a half days." And he 
processed it and looked at it, and he looked at me and said, no, no, he said, that's seven days. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they can tell within uh, six hours of uh, if you're lying to them or not. But uh, timeliness is very critical on, on this embryo transfer work. What about then if you uh, if you allow frozen semen and embryo transfer, can you then bring in some frozen semen from overseas to to uh, expand that genetic base for the Shire? Well, you can. The, one of our, one of our problems is that we have two predominant stallions, one in the United States and one in England, and we have a tremendous number of mares or offspring from both of those stallions, and both of those stallions have produced a lot of good quality material. And we're looking for other lines that have had this kind of success in producing quality. And, you know, quality isn't in the eye of the beholder, but uh, you still, you still there are still certain things you look for. And we just don't have the stallions that have consistently produced the quality that we're looking for. And so we are always looking for that golden ring at the end, you know. When you said you'd allowed to expand the uh, breed, you allowed some uh, breeding with other breeds. What? How did that process work? Well, we did that at the time to increase our numbers, and then uh, our membership voted it out. Uh, but uh, I think we probably did it for the wrong reason. We We expanded our numbers, but... We didn't necessarily control our quality as well. Now, England has a program whereby uh, they they have a little bit better job of controlling quality because they only allow registered clients in. And uh, so they breed a shire to a client, and then, then the, they're in a uh, no-man's land for like two or three years until they become a full shire. And then they, you can use that, that stallion to breed with. So that's how they get some of their, they interject some of their new blood <clears throat> into their uh, shire breeding program. So the shire then, if I'm understanding you correctly, looks a lot like a Clydesdale except uh, bigger. Yeah, they look a lot alike. It's, uh, it's Most people really can't tell a, a terrible lot of difference apart. Um, but those of us who are used to them can. But, uh, yeah, that's true. Now, it, it used to be that they were very similar in, in uh, England, but in order to prevent some of the uh, problems with the feet and so forth, they introduced a Clyde here and there, and, and they got a finer hair because the Clyde and the Shire has hair that comes over the foot. And uh, that's kind of what dolls them up a little bit when you look at them. Well, very, very interesting. We've covered a lot of ground. Any other ground that you need to cover that we haven't talked about? No, it's just that uh, we do have an association that is really aggressive now that's moving forward. And uh, we... We want to try, we sort of have a real heavy, strong influence in the Midwest. We need to break out and get a stronger influence geographically across the entire United States so that we're pulling a lot of our members in from the West Coast and from the East Coast. Um, but because of the tremendous distance that we have in the United States, it's not like England. In the United States, we have, you know, 1,500 miles to travel one way to 
get to halfway across the country. Uh, and so we're kind of concentrating our national shows here in the central part of the, in Iowa. But we used to move it from California to all across the country. But if, if you do that, then some of these people are going to have to travel almost 3,000 miles across the country to, to get to a show. So that's why we're concentrating in, in the center of the United States. Do you ever do you ever have any uh, shires in the draft horse show at the National Western in Denver? Because that's been a good one over the years. Yeah, yeah, we do, we do, and uh, we've had some real good uh, success with showing shires at, at Denver. That's a nice show. There's, uh, you know, Dakota Thunder up there in in uh, South Dakota. Uh, they've had uh, a hitch, and they have gone to the Rose Bowl last year. I understand they're probably going to go to the Rose Bowl again this year. Um, and then, you know, there's various hitches throughout the country. There's wearings out in Idaho, and they they go to a lot of shows. There's going to be another big show in Utah next week uh, that's going to be featuring some shires. So, yeah, they're, they're showing all across the country. We also have another uh, lady in uh, Utah that goes to all of the large rodeos and displays shires in in, uh, in hitches, various types of hitches where you have, you know, multiple hitches and uh, three in the back, two in the front, uh, all kinds of mixtures of hitches that, and they come running into the ring. They're very showy display for the uh, audience to see and they're, they're enjoyed uh, a lot. They don't do any breeding, they just do the showing of the shire. We are now seeing a few people come up uh, we have one in Missouri that is strictly an educational Shire farm, and they just should, uh, have mares that have babies, and they're going to have a, uh, a couple teams of hitches, and they just bring people into the city and show them uh, the Shires and how they act and give demonstrations and that type of thing. This has been very interesting information from Clark Jensen about the Shire Horse and the Shire Horse Association. But we're going to have more from Clark Jensen in just a moment, and it's about the really interesting breeding program that he has at Blair, Nebraska. So you folks stay with us. You're listening to the Horseman's Corner. There's only one reason to have a website or a Facebook page for your business, and that's to let people know you are in business and to bring people to your business, make them familiar with it on a basis that makes them want to work with you and do business with you. If that website or Facebook page doesn't get found, doesn't do you a darn bit of good. AgSearch.us is our newest search engine for agriculture that will make that agricultural website or Facebook page a lot easier to find. Bring more people to your doorstep with the idea that they may be willing to do business with you. That's AgSearch.us. Good to have you back with us on this, the last segment of today's Horseman's Corner. I'm Howard Hale, host of the show, and on this part of the program, we're going to be talking with Clark Jensen, who's the president of the American Shire Horse Association, but we're going to talk to him on this segment of the program about his breeding program. Give us some information about what you're doing, would you, Clark, and what you call your farm? Well, it's just Jensen Shires, but... uh... We have uh, an 80 acres here, and then we rent or lease about uh, 250 acres of pasture that we rotate our horses on. We have uh, one barn that's our foaling barn. We have three 
cameras in that, and those three cameras then are attached to the bedrooms in our house and also in my son's house down the road. So we watch our mares very carefully uh, during uh, during the foaling season. Uh, you get to become very nocturnal because uh, our horses seem to fall between <clears throat> 10 o'clock and 4 o'clock in the morning. We hardly ever get a horse that falls in the, during the day. Uh, horses like to have a quiet and uh, have less disturbance around when they're going to lay down and have their foal. And if you come out and disturb them a little bit too soon, they'll just wait till tomorrow night to have it. Uh, horses have that ability to do. So you like to be real quiet when, when they're foaling. Uh, we're going to be breeding about 30 registered shires for next year. Uh, we produce about 20 babies a year, and our association puts out about 100 total throughout the United States. Then when we breed, we only breed artificially. We do, do not do any live cover. We have five stallions that we use, and... Um, I have my own reproduction barn where we bring the mares in and bring the horse in either to a live mare, which I've, has the ovaries removed so she's in heat all the time, or we move him on over if it's, if it's a young stallion, I have him trained to jump on a dummy, and I collect off from there. And that's down in the reproduction barn. And there we come back into the lab, and I can process the semen, and we can uh, prepare it for shipping if we're shipping cooled semen. But all of our mares are done with uh, artificial insemination, so we don't do any live covering on this farm. And so it, it, uh, every morning I will probably ultrasound around uh, 6 to 10 mares every morning during the busy foaling season or breeding season because... You need to keep on top of it. You've got to know where that follicle is, how much it grows each day. And and uh, we have gone to a program that we normally recommend for most most people that uh, have shipped in semen. We will watch the follicle till it gets up to about 40 or so, and then we'll give them a shot of Desrelin. And normally that Desrelin will drop the follicle off the ovary in about 36 hours, which makes an opportune time to... Um, get conception so we will probably give the Desrel and wait six hours and then go ahead and breed and and uh, so the semen will only be in there for a few hours before the egg comes down and is ready to uh, be uh, interrupted by the sperm. Well you're talking about breeding 30 head of mares each year and and uh, 20 foals must be pretty hard to get them settled? Not really, no. Uh, I wouldn't say it's hard to get settled. Uh, the thing that I have done in the past, and I'm going to try to quit doing it, is I've allowed people to bring mares to me to breed because they can't get them bred. They or their vets can't seem to get them bred. And my specialty has been to breed mares uh, for other people as well, and and uh, that takes up a lot of time and a lot of energy. And maybe it's not doing a real good service either because maybe the, some of those mares shouldn't be bred. But, uh, you know, when you're talking about problem mares, and, and we, I don't know of a, a mare really that we have now that is a problem mare uh, from an infection standpoint or anything like that, but 
I do get them in from other people, and I'm to let that get out of hand. But uh, that is a that's a problem, you know. Sometimes when you start to get infection in, uh, you get uh, the little bacteria in there. They get covered over with a slime, and then now they they call that biofilm. It's it's a slime that gets over the bacteria and it, it makes it so that the antibiotic that you put in the uterus to kill it will not will not kill it because it's covered up so now you have to use another product a dmso or something else to help wash that slime off the bacteria so your antibiotic can kill it so it gets a little bit complicated at times but i guess that's uh let's just par for the course what about what about the number of horses when you uh uh, because of the uh, oh, embryo transfer, will you then wind up in the future with more than 20 folds a year at your place? No. Uh, sometimes you do embryo transfer on your, see, we have a six-horse hitch, and uh, maybe we don't want to uh, have that mare carry a full, so we, but we want a full out of her, so we can go ahead and do an embryo transfer and freeze it, uh, vitrify it. And uh, carry it in the uh, liquid nitrogen tank until we want to use it. And, for example, like on that uh, Murphy horse that I had that I collected uh, about 25 years ago, we just got a mare bred to him. So the semen will stay viable for many, many years, and so will the the uh, vitrified embryo. So you can have a tank full of little babies that you can pull out of that tank anytime you want to and uh, start up uh, raising more shires if you want to. Well, that's an, that's an interesting process that you uh, have there. You're, you're involved then with some showing the, of these horses as well? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, uh, we have a six-horse hitch. We enter all the cart classes and the halter classes. Uh, we just don't have the funds to play with the big boys and stay on the road all the time, but we try to participate in our local state fairs and things like that. Yeah, where are some of the interesting places you've gone, and what's the reception been when you get there with these shires? What do people have to say about the horse? Well, the shire, you know, the big black horse with the white socks and the blaze, uh, it's quite attractive, and uh, the public likes them probably more than the other other horse breeders. But uh, yeah, they're a very very popular breed for the public, and uh, they're they're a nice showy horse. Uh, we we show at uh, Nebraska, which has a nice fairgrounds. Now we go to Iowa, which is our national show. Uh, sometimes we go to some shows in Minnesota. We went to the Michigan Great Lakes show. Uh, in fact, we had the uh, senior champion stallion up at, the, at that show. That's a nice big show. It has good quality uh, horses and a lot of horses out of Canada. So that's good competition up there. Do you ever take the horses to some of the places where there are a lot of folks that may not be necessarily horse people? Like, well, let's take Husker Harvest Days in Grand Island, for example. Uh, should. We should. We have not, but that would be a good place to do it. You bet. Um, I think we need to concentrate on getting horses exposed to the public. But, you know, there's a big difference here. Uh, we we went, and I'm not knocking um, the second largest state fair in the 
United States, and I won't mention which one it is, but it's set in an urban setting. And you bring your horses up there, you bring your hitch up there, and you show them, and they'll have horseback riders leading you to your pens, leading you to the arena to show, because you got so many people milling around, and they have no respect for horses, and somebody could get hurt. And you move back out to western Nebraska, uh, Grand Island, and, you know, they'll, they'll welcome you when you come in the door. They'll say thanks when you go out. And you're dealing and talking to people who know livestock. And it's such a refreshing thing to do. Well, the reason I brought it up, we, we have out here in an area where I live in western Nebraska, uh, we have a legacy, the Plains Museum, they call it. And when they have a something going on the weekend, they bring in, bring in some horses, they bring a team of mules in. People love it. They are really, oh, yes, yeah. they really enjoy it. You bet, and we would like to do more of that. Um, but uh, you know, time is a limiting factor. Well, for for uh, guys that uh, in our age group, time really is a limiting factor, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but I got so many replacements put into me now that I'm good for another eighteen years. Oh well, that's good. Hey, and is <laughs> what about the rest of your family? Uh, when we're your 82, is uh, the family going to continue with the Shires? Yeah, I, I told them if they'd pay my debts, they could have have the horses. So, yeah, they're going to carry it on. They may have to, huh? <laughs> yeah, I think they, they, they're bound to it now. Well, Clark, thanks a lot for taking the time to visit with me. I've really enjoyed talking to you about the breed of horses that trips your tr- 